Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. 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 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Pete Callender. It's where I do a lot of work when I'm not on the air. Uh, even when I am on the air. Mixing it up. And Pete at thepetecallendershow.com is the email address. Romanticize your life. This is a trend on TikTok. As I mentioned at the end of the last hour, it's been going on for about two years. Evita Duffy writes about it at thefederalist.com. And she describes the, uh, this trend as uh, people shooting videos and uh, showing in the video how they are romanticizing their everyday lives by creating good habits, enjoying simple things, and recognizing beauty in the world around them. These are very good things, I think. These are healthy things. She says, in embracing the trend, romanticize your life, trend, young people are rejecting a fundamental value of the postmodern age, which is, that the world and our lives have no ultimate meaning. It's one of the most destructive elements of postmodernism. This pervasive outlook has seeped into all realms of our culture, from art to movies to TV shows and other social media trends. I mean, my God, how many anti-heroes do we need in the comic book universe? Right? Can't there just be a hero? Can't there just be... Well, I was going to say Superman, but there is a Superman. But then they made him kind of into an anti-hero, right? The effect of this, of postmodernism, this philosophy, is pretty damaging, especially for the Gen Zers, the Gen Zs. Young people often see no higher purpose to their existence. They've been dubbed the least religious generation to date. Nearly half of them spend an average of 10 hours a day consuming miserable postmodern media via their smartphones. It should be no wonder that rates of suicide and depression are on the rise among teens and young adults. The reality is that contemporary culture is unfulfilling for the young people who are being formed by it. It's incapable of revealing greater truths about life because it doesn't believe in truth itself. Postmodernists have so damaged so many people. Everything's a social construct. Nothing is innate. Morals are relative. Relatives are immoral. No, I'm kidding. That's not part of postmodernism. Well, I guess it kind of is to some degree. It is painful to believe one's life is meaningless, she says. That's exactly why this whole trend has had such a strong and lasting grip on social media. Because think about it. Does anybody do that ice bucket challenge anymore? No. Does anybody do that mayo thing where they they dump mayo on their I'm not doing the mayo topic. I'm just saying that was a trend too. Like these, or, or what was the other one? Where the people lay down in the road? Planking. Yeah. Right? Isn't that what it's called? Planking. But maybe everybody who is stupid enough to do that has subsequently been run over, and so now nobody's left to do the trend. That's possible as well. But this trend, two years, that's a long time for a trend to last on social media. Ultimately, she says, if everything can be beautiful because there are no meaningful criteria, if everything can be beautiful because there's no meaningful criteria to quantify and evaluate beauty, 
then beauty ceases to exist. This is part of, well, it's the feature, not a bug. You've seen probably the list, uh, the, the game plan came out of uh, former Soviet Union of how to spread communism into America, right? There was like a defector out of the KGB, and he wrote through all of the, the steps that uh, the Soviets were taking in order to take down America from within. And one of them, I still remember, one of them was about corrupting art, making, uh, to, to make all modern art unattractive, to make it ugly. Not beautiful. What's the point of that? Well, people don't get inspired by hunks of metal all twisted and, and uh, welded together out in front of your government buildings. It doesn't speak to them. It doesn't move the soul. That's why I call it art by explanation. They have to put a card down at the bottom of it to tell you what the name of it is and what the artist was trying to do because it's not obvious. <laughs> it's, it's just a bunch of garbage. You know, there was a story. What was it? Uh, um, if memory serves correctly, it was the police academy, Charlotte Mecklenburg Police and Fire Academy over there, right? Didn't the janitor throw away the public art installation because he thought it was garbage? Because it kind of sort of did look like garbage. It was like chicken wire wrapped up and um, made to look sort of like the, you know, the the CMPD shield. It looks like a shield, but it's kind of, broken up it looks like it's there's like chunks taken out of it because it's supposed to also look like a beehive a hornet's nest if you will that's what it is it's a hornet's nest so the i believe if memory serves correctly it was that location and the artist tried to try to mimic that hornet's nest which is also the shield but they did it out of this wire and then they had stuff in there and it it looked it looked like a a cyclone, like a little chicken wire cyclone that had swept up a whole bunch of debris out of a trash can. And the janitor, like, threw it away. <laughs> and then somebody caught it. Somebody figured out, oh, wait, 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 that's not it. Right. But, like, talk about embarrassing. But if you don't know that beauty exists, then it sort of ceases to exist, right? But we do know it exists. And so do the people participating in the romanticize your life trend. They, they are consistently recognizing beauty. They're recording it, and then they share it with other people. Fittingly for a trend that seeks to rebuke the idea that life is meaningless, it also shows the world that the idea of beauty being a construct is nonsense. I understand beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I get that. However, I think most people, when they approach a work of art that's hanging on the wall and it's sort of, you know, realist, you know, painting of a park or a nature scene or something, I think most people can recognize beauty when they see it. Sort of like uh, pornography, right? Look, I'm just quoting the judges in it. Few cultural forces, thankfully, do have things right. The Lord of the Rings trilogy, for one. Full disclosure, I tried to read it once and I never got past like half the first page. That chapter. It didn't take.
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got an email from Dennis who says, The reason there is so little success in modern day dating is very simple. Drive-ins. There are no drive-in theaters to take a date to anymore. (laughs) The magic of a relationship while watching a movie at the drive-in led to many meaningful moments that are missing in today's societies. Indoor theaters just are not the same. Drive-in theaters. There was a there was a drive-in theater up in uh, Asheville area. They actually they well they turned into a drive-in. Yeah, they turned into a drive-in. Well, no, there was another one that was a full drive-in theater, if I recall correctly. But they did one of the theaters up uh, around Asheville. They uh, w- when COVID hit, they started putting the movies up on the side of the building because it got a big building, got a big wall, you know? And so they would project the movies onto the, onto the wall. At any rate, Evita Duffy writing at thefederalist.com talking about this romanticize your life trend. And I think it's a very positive development. And she talks about, there are very few, uh, There are very few cultural forces, is what she calls it, that have things right. And she cites the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy. It's one of the greatest opponents to empty postmodern media and literature. Perhaps the most beautiful moment uh, is when Sam, struggling with Frodo to climb Mount Doom and destroy the One Ring, spoiler alert, He realizes they are in the tales of old. Their story, their harrowing journey to destroy the ring is a continuation of the stories that they were told as children. Like, we're in the same tale still. It's going on. Don't the great tales never end? I think that's the lesson that Tolkien had for all the people when he gave little pudgy shoeless hobbits arguably the greatest role in his epic fantasy novels. Fulfillment comes when we realize, like Sam, that each of us is in the story too. Right? That life is but a play, and we all may write a part. We're not just meaningless clumps of matter whose life is simply suffering and whose purpose is our inevitable death. We're part of a grand scheme. We're important characters in God's story of life. This is, it, it really is one of the, and I thought, I thought she wrote that beautifully, and that's why I brought that to you, and then that this, there are, um, there are combatants in this fight against this postmodern idea that everything is a social construct, that there is no absolute universal truth. There are people that are, Pushing back on this. I mentioned last week the Daily Wire. They're getting into areas of the culture that a lot of conservatives have surrendered. Because what we have learned uh, now, I think too late to some degree, is that politics is downstream of the culture. And for far too long, a lot of conservatives were just willing to surrender the culture because well, I just won't partake in that. I just won't go there. I won't watch that movie. I won't do these things. The problem is the culture got taken over by this postmodern idea, and it's 
terribly damaging. And now with the uh, you know smartphones in everyone's hands, it's ubiquitous. This this philosophy that nothing really matters and beauty isn't really a thing. You and that's now you got kids that are pushing back on this. And stories are powerful. Stories matter. Telling stories about people that have uh, you know challenges that overcome them, and then that's inspirational to others. Those are those are powerful things. Society, culture needs stories. Um, one of the stories here in Charlotte. All the people that are from someplace else, Charlotte. I started off in the first hour talking about migration and such. All the people that have been coming to North Carolina, specifically Charlotte Mecklenburg, I believe, and look, I'm one of them, right? I came down in 1992. I went to college at Winthrop, and I never went back, and I just stayed in the Charlotte area. And then, yes, I, I had my own time out from BT, and I was up in Asheville, and now I'm back. But And my wife is from Mint Hill. Christy's from Mint Hill, and this is where we wanted to be, like a lot of people. What happens, though, when people stop desiring to come here. Because the thing that brought people to Charlotte was this optimism, this idea that, you know, the city of churches, city of trees, but city of churches, that was one of the first things that people got asked when they came here, where do you go to church? And I don't think people get asked that anymore. And I think there are a lot of people that are coming from other places. And I'm kind of curious as to why, (laughs) because Maybe there's something, but we just got that low ranking for the economic mobility and all of that. So if you're not coming because you're optimistic that you can make a better life for yourself and that there's some meaning to this, I'm kind of curious what drives people to then move. Is it just strictly a a financial thing? Mecklenburg County grew, though, at a slower pace last year compared to its surrounding suburban neighbors. Is that a problem? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The uh, message here from Ed, who says, Hello! You may have already covered this, but if not, check out U.S. birth rates by ethnicity and faith. Surprising where that takes you. Any thoughts on the why questions? Any thoughts? I don't know what that means, on the why questions. Um... So I I don't know what the birth rates are by ethnicity. I would assume just, well, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. I I don't know if I want to assume. (laughs) I mean, I I could guess. White people probably not reproducing as much as Catholic, Hispanic people maybe from south of the border. Is that the idea? I don't know. I have not looked at them either. I was just covering the the general... uh, the general trend. Mecklenburg County grew at a slower pace last year compared to its surrounding suburban neighbors and compared to the state as a whole. Gordon Rago at the Charlotte Observer doing this story a couple of days back. Demography experts say there are potential population shifts towards more amenity-rich parts of the state in the west or suburbs and the exurbs around urban cores. So amenity-rich parts of the state in the West 
So what does that mean? It means the mountains. Yeah, it's pretty up there. It's very expensive, too, in a lot of parts because it's, it's tough to build on mountains, and a lot of the mountains are protected. They're state and national parks, and so you don't get to build there either. Oh, and by the way, uh, there are no straight roads. Just a heads up on that. You might see something like, oh, it's right over there. It's going to take you like half an hour to get there because you got to go left and then right and then left and then right in these hairpin switchback uh, roads, you know? Just FYI. Demography experts say that people are also going to the suburbs and the exurbs around urban cores. That movement could be driven by people seeking more affordable places to live with more space during the coronavirus pandemic. So Christy and I, uh, and I've talked about this before, when, um, when, so 10 years ago or 12 years ago, uh, when I got let go, well, let me see, was it 12? I should know these numbers by now. I've said them enough time. It was um, 2011. We had just celebrated our one-year anniversary. It was 2011, and the company that owned this station at the time, uh, they cut a bunch of people, and I was one of them. I was a nine-to-midnight host, and... Um, I then went to work for what is now Spectrum News. I did that for about six months, and then I got a job offer out of Asheville. Or they said, hey, this job is available. Do you want to apply? And I did, and I got it. And so then I went up there. But I knew that the company that owned that station was bankrupt, still is. And so I thought this is a short-term thing, so Christy had a good job. So he said, let's just stay. Uh, we'll keep the house, and I'll just get a little apartment. And me being from New York originally, this was an arrangement that I – had heard of people doing. They live, you know, far away from the city, but they have an apartment in the city, and that's what they did. So that's what we did. Then eventually the house got too much to take care of, and the job lasted way longer than I thought it would because it's a bankrupt company. But anyway, I I made it nine years there. And by the end of that, Christy left her job in Charlotte, and she uh, got a job in Asheville. We had sold the house. But before she came up to Asheville, we look. We sold the house, and we put her in an apartment for about, I guess it was like two years. Yeah, I think it was two years. And it was right in uptown Charlotte. And we, we loved the idea. And look, when I first started working at BT back in 1999, I wanted to live uptown. I wanted to be an urban pioneer. I looked all over the place to find some place to live around uptown. But this was 1998, 99. I couldn't find anywhere to live uptown. There was, first off, I think the only the only residential up there was like the Radcliffe that they had just built and Bob Johnson was living there or something. It's very expensive, right? There wasn't a lot of opportunities to live there, so I, I didn't. So when we moved out of the house, we sold the house, we said, hey, we'll, we'll go into Center City. And we very much liked the idea of living the urban lifestyle. To be able to come out, we did this. We would come down out of the building and we would walk to the grocery store, which was on the other side of center city, but we would walk to the grocery store. We would, um, you know, walk over to get something to eat, walk over to, cause we were off of, um, can I say that name? Have they changed the name? Stonewall. We were off Stonewall. So we would walk over to midtown and it was nice. We enjoyed it. And then the lockdowns hit and then riots happened, protests and such, right? all over the place. And all of a sudden, Christy and I had a decision to make, which was, do we want to continue to live 
in the urban environment where this kind of thing might happen at any moment's notice. And we were not very far from the police department. And Christy used to work very close to the police department. That's concerning. And look, that drives some of this. We are examples of it. Because when we started looking around to buy the house that we just now got into about a month ago, we looked and considered, do we want to go back into Uptown to try and find, you know, a condo or something in Center City? And considering what had happened, first off with the COVID lockdowns where you have all these amenities that you've paid for, and then they shut down those amenities. They don't give us a reduction in our rent. In fact, they told us at the time up in Asheville, they said, you, uh, uh, you're not actually paying for the amenities. You're paying only for the apartment uh, space. And I understand that because, you know, if I, you know, if I act up at the pool, they want to kick me out of the amenity without kicking me out of the apartment. They, they now have the ability to do that. So I understand why the lawyers drew it up like that to protect the property owner for the management. But on the other hand, why am I paying for the fitness center, for the pool, for the grills, for you know, all of the, the things that you sold in your brochure to me, and now I don't have access to them, and you're not giving me a reduction in the rent. And then when the rent comes up or the, uh, the lease comes up for renewal, they turn around and raise the rent 3%. So, yeah, no, We're, that's when we started building our house in Asheville. And then two days after closing, I got offered the job here. <laughs> and so we never, yeah, we never actually, yeah, I never actually got to live in that house. But it's okay because we got a better house now in Charlotte. We got more house in Charlotte. And um, and we're, we wanted to be back here. But when we were coming back, we had to think, well, where do we want to, where do we want to go? Do we want to look for, you know, a condo or something to live because look, there are trade-offs. There's some really good trade-offs. You live in a condo or uh, an apartment building. There are way less things you got to worry about, like yard work and that sort of stuff, right? There are fewer projects around the house, and somebody takes care of a lot of these things. Now, there are trade-offs. You know, and if one of the trade-offs is that, hey, some people might light a car on fire in front of the building and prevent you from escaping, like, that's a pretty big trade-off. I think I'll do some yard work instead of that. Right. I'm not the we're not the only ones who have made similar types of decisions based on current events. This has got people very concerned about the health of downtowns. Remember, Joe Biden mentioned it in one of his speeches or at the State of the Union, you know, to to, to come back into our downtowns. This is a problem. I mean, some people like me were saying this is a problem and we're warning this would be a problem when it was going on. But no, no, no. We were just, you know, dismissed as, I guess, racists. Newstalk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. Got a tweet here. Pete's tweets. Uh, it's not mine. I, I, it's a Pete, uh, or a tweet to Pete. Tweet to me. I don't, I'm still working on the branding on that. Anyway, it's all a distraction. It says, I live in the country because I don't want neighbors. Fair point. Was that the, uh, that the Abe Lincoln standard? That when you can see the smoke from the chimney... Of your neighbor's house, that means the neighbor's too close and it's time to move. I think that's the standard. North Carolina grew by 112,000 people between April 2020 and July 2021. It's about 1%.
Okay, North Carolina grew about 1% according to the census numbers, and that is greater than the national rate of 0.1%. But two counties grew more slowly than the state. Now, they still grew faster than the national rate of 0.1, but they were trailing the state growth rate. Those two counties, Durham and Mecklenburg. Mecklenburg. 0.6 we grew at. So almost almost to the one, but not really. Both counties had large estimated influxes of international migrants, according to Rebecca Tippett, the director of Carolina Demography at UNC Chapel Hill. This is the Charlotte Observer story from a couple days back. But get this. They had large, Mecklenburg had large numbers of people coming here, international migrants. I don't know if that's legal or illegal or both. I don't know. But there were even more people leaving for other counties and states from Mecklenburg County. That's a problem. Eight counties around Mecklenburg saw larger increases in population compared to the Charlotte Urban Core. Iredell, 2.3% increase. Cabarrus County, uh, home to Concord, 10th largest city in the state, grew by about 2%. Lancaster County saw the largest population increases. Um, Lancaster was one of four counties in America that crossed the 100,000 resident threshold last year. Okay, so not that there were only four, but... Only four got big enough to now break into the 100K club. So Lancaster was one of them. You know what another one was? Cleveland County. So we had two of the only four new additions to uh, the 100K club in the Charlotte area. Cleveland County and Lancaster County. The other two were one was in Texas and one was in Washington State. Grant County, Washington. Which I got to wonder, is that nearby Seattle? Is that people fleeing Seattle? The Charlotte area overtook Orlando's metro region. We are now the 22nd most populous in America. And the Charlotte and Raleigh metro areas both placed in the top 10 for growth between uh, the July uh, 2020 and July 2021. Charlotte Observer reporting that the Charlotte metro area, which includes Concord and Gastonia, grew by 31,381 people. Our total population now for the metro area, 2.7 million people. That's amazing. 2.7 million people. I remember years ago when they were talking like, you know, a million. (laughs) It's explosive growth. And that has a lot of challenges, right? Presents a lot of challenges. In fact, I got a story here as well about how uh, it doesn't look like now we're going to uh, be voting on any kind of uh, uh, sales tax referendum to fund a $13.5 billion transit plan. Darn. Oh, man. Not going to get to vote no on that? Okay. The wind... <laughs> I don't even know. I, I don't know the plan. They were they were looking at the timing of it, and according to the Charlotte Observer, who talked to the mayor pro tem, Julie Iseld, and uh, council member Ed Driggs, that... Uh, you know, you got to go to the state to get approval, and because you got to go to the state to get approval, they may not have time to get that done in the General Assembly short session, which is getting ready to start up next month. So 
We shall see. We don't know. We shall see. But Ed Driggs said a lot has to happen, and uh, it's he says it's very unlikely that the sales tax will show up on the ballot. So, but this is part of the challenges, right? Zoning, managing growth. Can you manage growth? Can you um, can you build an infrastructure that gets people around the city in a better way? Because honestly. Do I want to spend two hours in my car every day driving into work? No, nobody wants to do that. Well, very few people want to do that. But what's also happening, we were over in uh, Ballantyne the other night. And my God, I mean, that that whole area is just, just built up crazy. And I hadn't seen it in, you know, several years, I think. And uh, it's just amazing to me, but I also... I wonder, like, these are all basically little cities, right? They're, they're These are becoming little cities on the outskirts of a bigger city. But that also means that the little cities are going to be competing for residents and jobs and retail, right? They're, they're going to want these things in their area. And if I can just live in one area and have all of my stuff in that area, then I don't need to go into Center City anymore, do I? But that's been such a push to get people into Center City. That's why we've been loading all the amenities in there for the last... 30 years. Does that mindset need to shift? Now, see, I'm asking some of these questions that I don't hear asked at the city council meetings when they talk about their 2040 vision plans and such. Maybe they're asking that to each other, or maybe they've already asked it in years past and they came to a decision or got an answer and they're happy with it, and I just don't know that. That's fine. But I throw these things out there because I wonder... What becomes of the downtown? I'm sorry. What becomes of Uptown? What becomes of Uptown if people don't want to drive in there anymore and there's no way to get in there quickly? Why would people go up there? News is next.